It's the JT and Looney Podcast, episode 90. And now a word from our sponsor. That's what they used to say back in the old days when people used to gather around the radio. Before television, could you imagine? Families used to gather around the radio. God, I was born at the wrong time. I am Tom Looney, and I'm here to talk to you about Bet Online. If you are not gambling currently, if that's not part of your lifestyle, what are you doing? Head to betonline.ag. It's a great place to wager on sports. With July underway, it's a great month for betting on sports with key marquee matchups in baseball. You've got oh, you got the NBA Finals. You got the Home Run Derby. And there's prop bets at Bet Online, and I love the props. Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information, so you can be an educated sports wagerer. So go to betonline.ag, and just for being friends with JT and Looney, you get the 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Now, a lot of people don't know their percents. So if you, so, so let's say you put $100 in your account. They'll give you 50 bucks. Pretty cool. So before the next tip-off or pitch or big fight where someone's going to break their leg live on television, go to Bet Online and start wagering today, okay? Start wagering on sports. Do the right thing. Gamble. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. A proud sponsor of the JT and Looney podcast, which begins in three, two, one. Hey. Good morning. There you are. Yeah, just waking up. Nice day. Getting on the red eye tonight to Florida. South of Jacksonville on the beach. Normally, I would not go to Florida this time of year due to their humidity, but we're leaving 115 where we broke records in Vegas right. this weekend. So humidity, bugs, or anything in the 90s is not 115. <laughs> yeah, 92 will feel better than 115. You're right. Hey, you know, you St. Augustine, the oldest city in America, it used to be a place you would go quite often. A lot of people find themselves uh, taking vacations or going places where they wouldn't normally go this time of year because they haven't seen people. Haven't hugged people, haven't kissed people, haven't seen people. So often uh, now, this summer, people are getting to see people, hug people, kiss people, embrace people that they normally took for granted that they would see at weddings and funerals and birthday parties and all those things that we haven't been able to do. And formal and informal lunches absolutely that, that we put off with people, relatives or friends. Oh, yeah. Still still in COVID and still trying to figure out who can travel and what we're going to do. And as the economy's opening up, I thought and I, we talked about this for the last 16 to 18 months. The priority in travel was going to be family. Yeah. Be OK. Instead of going on your dream vacation, because some people put aside weddings. Some yes. people put aside their wedding. Everybody knows somebody who postponed a wedding. Yep. Yeah. My producer at, at uh, Mad Dog, it's same thing. He put his wedding back and then he finally had it. And. And a lot of people tried to put their wedding back, but they couldn't put their wedding back because the people who planned it two years previous had that spot. And now everyone's getting married at the same time. And a lot of people can't get married at the spot they wanted to get married. Uh, there's all kinds of complications going on now in the marriage business. 
Yeah. And what the complications are now is for our family to connect in St. Augustine again is my wife's side with her sister. She's best friends with her sister. She hasn't seen her sister since pre COVID. Right. So we go there and we have two nieces and with my two sons, the cousins, because I haven't talked about this on the podcast. Really, what I think defined my youth is my grandfather on my dad's side pretty much made it mandatory that we saw each other every weekend, the cousins. So I had cousins in Hophog, New York, and Hicksville, close by in Long Island. And I grew up my entire life. Now, you know, there were there were Little League games on Saturday, and there were, you know, probably, I can't, you know, the total cousins in our group, eight, nine, ten cousins, whatever the number was. But we grew up with each other every weekend. Every Sunday, there was a meal at my either my Aunt Inez's house or my Uncle Gene's house, who I've often talked about, my dad's identical twin, so I grew up with my cousin Gino and Andrea and Susie and Danny and Laura and my two sisters and me. And because that was required, required of our family. To Wasn't be your grandfather an immigrant? Immigrant from Italy. Yeah. Uh-huh. That explains it. When you're an immigrant, your cousins are your friends because right. you come here and you're, you know, nobody knows you and people aren't being nice to you when you come to a new country. And that that was the experience and that. You know, one of my best friends, Pedro Cruz, is from Oaxaca, Mexico. And that means I know 42 of his cousins here in Los Angeles because his cousins were his friends. And that's a very, you know, that's an American tradition where uh, your your family are your friends. It's so great to hear. And that was the same thing. My aunt, uh, Anne used to say cousins are like brothers and sisters without the hassle. And same thing in our family. Not only that, my, my, my Pop Warner career, my brilliant all-world Pop Warner career, which I always talk Hall about. Of fame. Hall I of was fame. one of the great Pop Warner stars in the history of the United States of America. And one of the reasons why I played for the Elmira Heights Masons is because my mother and Aunt Ann insisted that my cousin and Billy play football on the same team. I didn't live in Elmira Heights. I lived in Elmira. But... I played at Elmira Heights because that way I got to spend three glorious years playing football with my cousin, Billy Oprah. And I'm glad they made us do that. It was great. I got to think that that's a breakdown in America. As a matter of fact, I'll, I'll make it another JT fact, not okay. fiction. I can't imagine <laughs> that in this era compared to the generation that I grew up in, I'm in my 50s now, that cousins are getting together the way they did back then. I don't want to talk about the deep breakdown of the nuclear family and what's happening in certain regions. I just got to think that it isn't the way that it was when I was a kid or my dad was a kid. That's got to be something that's breaking down a little bit for a lot of reasons, for a lot of different reasons that, you know, cousins aren't seeing each other the way they were 30, 40 or 50. Years. Well, yeah. And there's it's not I don't know if breaking down is the way to put it. Uh, it is. It is too bad that it happens. But it's just because let me compare it to boxing. If I can make an analogy for it, <laughs> you know, in boxing, who loved boxing in the first half of the 20th century? It was Italians and Irish and Jews, because that's who was fighting and who the new immigrants and uh, and who loves boxing now and a lot of times it's filipinos and latinos the new immigrants and that's who's participating and a lot of the champions are named garcia and that and those are also the people who are hanging around their cousins because they're new immigrants it's not really a breakdown all of our relatives uh, uh you and me the irish and italian relatives etc came here 
to make things better for us. And as things grew in the second generation, the third generation didn't have to get together with their cousins for dinner every weekend because they had because they didn't feel as ostracized. They didn't have to hang around people who who could share the pain of being an immigrant because we didn't feel the pain of living in America. We felt the thrill. Nicely said. Speaking of the Irish, Conor McGregor, as you're looking here to the cover of the Las Vegas Review Journal, as you can see here, as we're talking to each other. Love the headline. Bad Bad break. break. Yeah. McGregor, and he breaks his ankle. And as we post the show coming off the weekend of UFC 264 here on the podcast, it might have been the best thing that happened to him because he was going to lose the fight. He was definitely 100% going to lose the fight. He was on the ground. Poirier had control of him. So by breaking his ankle, disappointing everyone there, yelling at Poirier as he was talking to Joe Rogan and calling his wife a whore, which I'm going to get to, which was disgusting. Lowest level of trash talk I saw. But I'll get to the European Championship in soccer, what happened there. But for McGregor, he's already selling the fight again. I would have beat you. I would have beat you. You're a blank blank. I broke my ankle. It'll be ready, and I'll come back and fight again. And as you know, UFC MMA is proving that they will drain every last fight out of every aging fighter. So I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty confident these two are going to fight for the fourth time. Well, also in UFC compared to, uh, uh, to compared to boxing, as we always seem to have to do it, it's it's uh, it's a constitutional amendment. Uh, there are so many more ways to lose a and there's which means there's so many more ways to win. So you, your career can last longer. People in some of those sports, karate, Muay Thai, wrestling, there's wrestling tournaments all over the country every weekend in all 50 states. Uh, and, and for seniors, for people in their 20s, people in their 30s, people in their 40s, people in their 50s. And, you know, it's a cult sport. And people stay in shape and work at it. It's it's uh, those are, are occult sports. And so that's why UFC, I have always thought, was such a perfect business model, because it appeals to every demographic ethnically and racially, every demographic socioeconomically, because everybody of every demographic puts their kid in karate class or Muay Thai class or boxing class or or whatever. Also professional. I mean, people who who win state and national championships and go wrestle for Penn State and Oklahoma and Iowa and win gold medals in the Olympics. Now they don't have to just be a wrestling coach, which is a noble profession. They can go into UFC and uh, and try to turn that gold medal into some real gold. And so UFC has been a perfectly uh, – so, so that appeals. I think the sport is only growing. And another thing, like you say, they have – the stars – they milk everything out of those stars. They got to have Conor McGregor fighting because he's the number one draw in that business, and so he will continue to fight if he yeah, wants Conor, to. The problem with Conor McGregor is he can't win anymore. So that's the I problem. Know. He can't beat anybody. His anymore. biggest, biggest fights are getting choked out by Nate Diaz. Yeah, so he's not going to win anymore, but the fact is that he can promote. So he can go out. Yep. This, mar- this loss marks the fourth defeat in five fights for McGregor. So he's on the back end of his career, which I don't have a problem with. Well, then again, I do, because, you know, I like undefeated fighters. Yes, which but you're not going to get in UFC. <laughs> you know, I don't think you're going to get it much in boxing anymore, because if you want to fight late into your career, like Manny Pacquiao is going to fight Errol Spence. This right. is a great fight. Yeah. Errol Spence is a great fighter, and he's been waiting to fight Bud Crawford. That would be the biggest fight in the world, technically. Right. The best fighters in their prime going after each other. But, of course, they can't make the fight. They can't make that fight. It's the best fight 
maybe the best fight in a decade, including Canelo and Triple G, would be Errol Spence and Bud Crawford. They can't make it. Drives so. you crazy in boxing. It's, it's always happened. It drives you crazy in right. boxing. People will point to a day when the champions fought the champions, but there were great people. like Ron Lyle never fought Joe Frazier for some weird reason. And there was, there was, I hate when that happens. So Manny's going to step in on the back back end of his career where Manny should have been retired five years ago. I, mean, I know. He's so great. Yeah. He's going to fight again, and he's down the street from you at the wild card gym with uh, Freddie yep. and he's there and he's training and he took off his shirt. I've watched him fight his whole career. I've, I've, we've been to most of his fights. Yep. Very lucky. He looked as good as I've ever seen him look. And he was shadow boxing. I was like, oh my God, how's he doing it? Well, it's simple drugs and alcohol. He doesn't drink. He doesn't yep. do drugs. A- aging athletes in sports, Tom Brady, whoever they are now, Aaron Rodgers, not big drinkers. Don't beat up their body with drugs and alcohol. So Manny could go back in the well and fight one more time. And he's so experienced and he has such experience technically and his speed. Of course, he can't be as fast as he was at 21, 25, 29, but he's still very fast. He could make it a competitive fight and not embarrass himself. Connor, on the other hand, if he doesn't knock a guy out in the first two minutes of round one, there's just no chance he can win later in a fight. And that's going to be the problem for him. Why is Oscar De La Hoya, and you know, I, I defend Oscar De La Hoya the way I defend Kobe. Uh, why He's supposed to fight on September 11th. Uh, why, why? I don't get it. He's been, he's been retired for 10 years. Because drugs and alcohol and money. Uh, he's, <laughs> yeah. For the opposite reason you just mentioned, he's not going to fight well because he hasn't been sober. Yeah. I've always said this, for our, and I'll say it for our great podcast audience. There's three things that could take a boxer down and pretty much does to all of them, except the few legends and the ones we're mentioning. One is drugs and alcohol. If you look at the history of the sport from Jake yep. LaMotta, go back to fighters, many fighters got in the bottle. And then in yeah. the seventies and eighties, when cocaine became popular, they got into cocaine and yep. loved it because they had money and they loved cocaine and it was a quick high for them and they didn't feel it the next day. And then they circled back to alcohol again. I know Michael Moore was a, was a great heavyweight fighter who couldn't stop drinking. The other thing is divorce. Most of them get divorced because these women go through hell being married to boxers who are tortured souls and are in the gym and are angry and physical. Put all that together and tell me how that works out. Some are beautiful husbands. But a lot of that, a lot of boxers get divorced and they have to pay out their earnings to their divorce. And then the yep. final one's the biggest one, as you asked Floyd Money Mayweather, is taxes. They, they cannot pay their taxes. What they do is they make money and then they find out that their promoter took more than 10 percent. And then there were taxes in the state that they fought. Then there were federal taxes and the taxes in the state where they live right taxes in the state where they live and they don't pay it and then they buy gold chains and diamonds and ferraris and boats that they don't need and homes that they never go into certain rooms and then the tax man comes knocking on the door a couple of years later and says no 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 we want to go back four years not last year on your tax returns and we want to go after all that or we're going to throw you in jail and they get wiped out for that yeah a lot of times you know when when we, when Floyd Mayweather, right now we're, we're bitching about fighters who aren't fighting who they should be fighting. And Floyd Mayweather would fight Shane Mosley a second time, et cetera, when we were wondering, why is this fight happening? It was because it was a golden boy fighter and, you know, Floyd owed Oscar a mulligan or two because Oscar paid his taxes. 
so that the IRS wouldn't embarrass Floyd after a fight and be back in the locker room waiting for him. And the irony there is, here's the correct use of the word irony, Floyd Money Mayweather, his nickname is Money, and he at times didn't have enough or wasn't paying his taxes. Well, the best compliment I could give to Floyd is that the fact that he didn't get hit a lot as he saved his brain. Yep. He saved his brain. I, I It was infuriating me. You and I would walk out of most fights unless I was running through my secret backdoor <laughs> tunnels to get out of there. And you would wait. You would wait to see the most stupid uh, reading of the cards when we both were sitting next to each other going, oh, it's 11. Uh, it's another fucking or decision. We know it's a Floyd decision. No one got knocked down. And oh, I would run through God. a tunnel at the MGM and get on a stairwell and be out breathing fresh air and be out of the fight going to my next cocktail. It was my dream, you know, goal visualization. I'm into that, to sit, sit ringside at world championship fights. And I did it 50 times. And I bet you 47 of them were 12 round decisions. Yeah. Oh, my God. But that was Floyd. Uh, yeah, and, and I and a lot of times, yeah. And you would go have a great time having a drink uh, afterwards uh, with uh, our friends or your friends, and then and I'd go to that stupid press conference every time. I should have gone drinking. Stupid press conferences at uh, where they have where they have eighty five tables and then two people sitting in chairs and yelling stupid things into microphones. Oh, oh but it gave me it gave us one of the great moments <laughs> in Tom Looney press conference history right here. Everybody, this is gold. Here's Tom Looney. What fight was this with Floyd this, Mayweather? I don't know what fight. Oh, I know what it was. I it was one of those fights where. Uh, it, it was a go- he he fought a golden boy fighter and Oscar paid his taxes for him so I think it was Mosley, and I asked him if he was indebted to Floyd to to, uh, to Oscar De La Hoya because Oscar paid his taxes which I got out of the USA Today, but that goes to show you the demise of newspapers in America. Nobody had seen it except me, and Floyd went ballistic. But what I don't understand about what I do understand about it, because we were working together for so long, is that you didn't tell me you were going to say this. And we sat at the fight together. And when did it change? When did you decide you were going to ask that question from the walk ringside to the press conference? You could have asked anything. You had to know. You had to know from his reaction. And before that, there was going to be a little bit of pushback with that question. There's a Baltimore area washington dc area journalist a real journalist named johnny falgos who wrote for usa today so i knew the guy you know i had had a couple of those late nights in vegas um uh drinking coffee of course with johnny over the years since i think the first fight i went to which was uh felix trinidad and uh, and fernando vargas in vegas and and so I had, I knew the source who wrote the article. And so I spoke to him probably at the free media dinner before the fight. And so, yeah, that was percolating through my brain as we were watching the fight that I, that I knew something no one else knew. And I knew the source of it. And we talked about his sources and how he knew. So I knew it was a question that, you know, all Floyd had to do, this is how Floyd Mayweather is so easy to read is his outrage usually when he's outraged he's guilty of something and uh he's just fudging and all he had to do was say yeah i know it's ironic i uh my nickname's money but sometimes i don't know how to spend it and i don't know how to deal with it and i don't know how to handle it 
and it would have been over. Instead, he attacked me for asking the question, and then a bunch of his family were behind screaming at me, get out of here, you bleepity bleep. And the, you know, and the promoter came, one of the promoters came over and ripped the, the credential off my neck for asking a good question. And the HBO guy, uh, Jeremy, wasn't happy with me for asking the question. That's what you're supposed to do at press conferences, ask questions. How about a good one? No one else was asking anything good. How did you feel when you knocked him down? That's not a fucking question. It was a great question. I thought it put me on the map even more. I was amazed by it. I want to thank my wife for taking me to Garth Brooks on Saturday night. Uh, how was it? 65,000. How many? I, I talked 65, to you. 65,000. Wow. 65,000. It was a super concert. It was the first concert, not a DJ. It was the first concert at Allegiant Stadium. And it was remarkable because it was 117 degrees. So. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that was, the, that was the hottest day in the history of Vegas. It tied for it. I don't know how Ooh. we didn't go to 118 or 19. I guess we stopped. And that's what's great about God. God doesn't kill us and raise the thermometer to 190. I know day because he puts us and turns us closer to the sun. I guess he stops at 117. Thank God. Vegas. But we had what's called an entertainment stress test in Vegas. First time ever. Someone put it in the paper and I, I can't stop saying it. It's such a smart term. So first time post COVID, but we're still in COVID. Welcome to the Delta variant. And we had an event on Saturday where we had multiple events happening. So throughout the weekend, you had Dave Chappelle, Joe Rogan at the MGM, Justin Bieber, one of the biggest performers in the world over at Win Encore. You had Bruno Mars at the park MGM. You had Team USA basketball, which lost to Nigeria. They were playing. You had the WNBA playing in town. And then you had Conor McGregor at T-Mobile, 18, or close to 20,000. And then Garth Brooks, 65,000. So the entertainment stress tests were on the cops, the Ubers, the ambulance. God, you're right. Everything. And you added the 117 in. So we ended up getting a ride from one of our neighbors who was going to the show, and he parked at the Mandalay Bay where the flying fishes play. You've been there a hundred times, and that's as close as you can get to Allegiant Stadium. Allegiant Stadium's on the other side of the freeway, the 15 freeway that goes all the way to Tom Looney in Los Angeles. So what we had to do was we parked, and then we walked over a bridge. So think of a bridge over, over going a highway, uh -huh. over go, going a highway. That bridge is shut down on Raider game day concerts called the Hacienda bridge and my wife and I, and another couple and tens of thousands of people walked over the highway on this bridge when it was one seven. Wow. Yes. You didn't, you weren't running. Seven. You were walking very gingerly. Yeah. <laughs> and walked wow. in, it was hot and everybody wears, you know, there's so many hot chicks and my wife was the leader of the pack, but there's so many women at a country concert because they all dress in oh. country attire. Yeah, it's like you're going to the Kentucky fun. Derby. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, the country music fans and the way they dress when they go to concerts, it's uh, it's such a great event, isn't it? Yeah, and Garth Brooks, he brought his wife out, Trisha Yearwood, for a couple of songs. Shallow, remember? Uh, mm -hmm. Lady Gaga's song, which was fantastic. and. It was a big concert in a football stadium and thought it was really good. Garth puts on a hell of a show. He started right after 7.30. He ended at 10.30. And then when I looked at my phone, I found out that Connor lost at that time. And 
we went back uh, to the strip and hung out for a little bit. And it was a success. Just a good weekend in Vegas where everyone seemed to come here. We passed the entertainment stress test and proved that with the heat and all those events, Vegas can do it. Two things there. Uh, put a button in the entertainment stress test because I want to point out one wonderful thing about our country. Uh, I did it. Uh, I was working at a rock station at night in State College, Pennsylvania, while a, a real rock station at a college station and making money, which wasn't necessarily a good thing for a college student, because then if your friends can't buy beer, you can buy beer for everybody. But and it was really cool because, you know, my voice would get recognized in class because if I would talk because I was the guy on the radio. But I then transferred over to the country station where nobody listened to it. But locals did. My friends thought I was crazy, but it, I got to do the commercials. I got to do afternoon drive. I got paid better and I wanted to do commercials. I wanted to get into that. I wanted to, you know, I wasn't doing any production at the rock station because I was in that box that the boss painted me in. And I got to learn my country music and love my country music and the people with that format, the number one radio format in America for decades is country music. And they listen longer, more TSL, as we say in the business, time spent listening. And it was a great, great experience and part of my life and turned me. I didn't know country music. And then it really turned me on. You know how you know if somebody knows country music, they don't call it country and Western. Right. Because it hasn't been called country and Western since 1969. But uh, that's how you know if somebody knows it. You were talking about the entertainment stress test. Is that what you called it? Yep. Mm -hmm. And people say this country is so divided. You had a Justin Bieber concert, a Garth Brooks concert with 65,000 people. You had USA basketball, all those things you named. Were anybody getting any fights at those events? Were the police really stressed at those events? No, because we get even at your event, 65,000 people streaming to stadiums and arenas, thousands and thousands of people. That's just one city, Vegas. Every weekend in football stadiums on Saturday for college football and on Sunday for the NFL, the NBA, NHL, Phil Arenas, uh, you know, pre and post COVID. I'm just talking you know, COVID aside. And we get along fine. People aren't uh, asking each other who they voted for and arguing. We get along fine in this country and we've never been really deeply divided. We're narrowly divided. It takes us four days to uh, to finish counting the votes in the election because it's so close. We are narrowly divided. <laughs> we are not deeply divided. And one more thing you mentioned about the USA losing to Nigeria in basketball. And I will tell you why that's good news, JT. Oh, <laughs> oh, this will be good. Let me sit back here and sip on my yes. coffee that my wife just brought me. Go ahead. Just taking a global view at that. How old are your boys? 20 and 18. Your babies are 20 and 18, and they will always be your babies. If your babies were 20 and 18 in 1950, 1960, 1970, 1980 in Nigeria, they never would have even gone to, to, to high school. You would have been fending. And you wouldn't have been able to, uh, to, you know, they wouldn't have been able to do that, live the life they've lived here in the United States. The, it's, a, it's a broad middle class country now in Nigeria. It used to be a dump. 
and it used to be a place that was mired in poverty where children couldn't do any extracurricular activities like play basketball. They had to try to fend for water and food for the rest of the family. Now people in Nigeria, it's, it's, it's a broad-based middle class. Their model is the United States of America. We wish we still had a middle class like Nigeria did. And that's why their kids have free time and they go to school and play basketball instead of not going to school and fending for shit. It's a great, a great example of how our country, how our world has less poverty and less starvation and places like Nigeria are excelling in basketball because kids actually go to school and do extracurricular activities when that was out of the question for the entire history of humanity up until about 1970. Yeah, That's well, go the tell, good news. Go, go tell Greg Popovich that. When he <laughs> you, well, he's go a bleeding heart. You imagine that post post game speech from Greg Popovich to Kevin Durant and Damian Lillard. <laughs> Popovich is talking and go, hey, everybody, I'm going to bring in this guy, Tom Looney. You might have heard of him on the JP and Looney podcast. He has something to say as Durant is throwing his towel and Damian Lillard is just kicking something <laughs> you know, after they lose to Nigeria. But whatever. Oh, and a couple other things on that. I want to jump in quickly to. What happened in England, Italy, the biggest sporting event in the world by Mm. far was the final of the European Championship. I went over to our buddy Johnny O'Donnell's house, who's from Ireland, and sat there and watched it. And I couldn't believe it. England scored in the first two minutes. It was the fastest goal ever in the final of a European Championship. Think of that. They go up 1-0, and I think they're going to hold on and win. Italy scores. They go to extra time. They go to extra time after that. And then they went to penalty kicks. And England subbed out at the end of regulation two of their young black superstars who weren't playing but they got them in the game because they knew you had to be in the game if you're going to kick penalties right right so they got the guys in so the coach did everything that he needed to do and then the three young stars of england who happened to be african-american and everybody could go look at this the hashtag is say no to racism all three of them missed their penalty kicks, which in soccer is about the worst thing that you can do. Other right. than missing the goal is having the goalie stop it. And the England fans went off. Went straight to the race card. It went straight to the race card and abused these guys. And these three young black men, Saka, Rushford, and Sancho, we're abused so bad now that it's the biggest story in soccer around the world. And England, the country is getting involved now and looking at these tweets and all the social media here. And some of the tweets have been posted. And, oh, by the way, the fights, you know, I'm fascinated by sports fights. So I mm. went online and the English hooligans who happened to get in there, they were actually English fans who broke into Wembley. They, they couldn't stop them. They stormed the gates and got in as some of the Italy fans were leaving the game. The England fans were waiting for him in the concourse in the tunnels and just literally beat the crap out of some of these guys. There's, there's not enough security, obviously, right. when you have how many thousands of fans there. So it turned into a very ugly moment on such a beautiful stage. England got the host and they were in the championship game, but it turned very, very ugly afterwards. People lose, for some reason, they lose their sense of joy, and the joy of going to the sport is the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat, the unscripted drama that we enjoy, and then they somehow mix it up with tribalism 
It's not your gang. You don't know the players. There's no reason to fight for them whatsoever. Fight for your family, not for your team. Whether it's your political team, you don't know these politicians. And whether or it's your your favorite football team, uh, fight for your family. Defend your family's honor, but not your team, whether it's political or football. Yeah, what's going to happen is just when you get soccer fans that are drunk and you get that many people into a place, you cannot eliminate racism. You can't. You could hope. You could hope that everything will happen nicely. But when you have that many fans who they're based in a sport that's been surrounded by racism for decades on decades, a magic wand isn't going to wipe it out. So FIFA has now eliminated fans at games. They penalize teams. They've disqualified teams because of racial chance and what they've done. And they're tr- trying to eliminate racism. And I thought they were doing a pretty good and job. We got to do whatever we can. I will tell you this, though. One of the ways, too, that magic wand works this is, is to make those goals. Because one of the ways in the United States, politicians haven't done as much to uh, to combat racism as or to cure it as entertainers. And sports figures, because people think they don't like somebody like that. And then somebody who looks like that sings a song the first time you kiss or uh, hits the game winning home run or kicks the game winning goal. And then your racism melts because you love someone who looks like that because they've given you such joy. So sports is a great way to cure and, and wave a magic wand at racism but on the other side of that, if somebody who looks like that misses a goal and you're already predisposed to not like pe- liking people who look like that, it can turn ugly. Hey, wow, you listened to the whole thing. That's really cool. You must have a lot of free time. JT and Looney podcast is powered by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.